from Brooklyn, New York. I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a Vine Pair Podcast Next Round Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations during our regular scheduled podcasts to give everyone a better idea of what's going on during the COVID-19 crisis. Today, I'm joined by founder and CEO of Jack Rudy, Brooks Wrights. Brooks, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Adam, for having me. Honored to be here. Yeah, it's, it's great. So I love your products. Uh, some people may not be familiar with them, though. So before we jump into everything we want to chat about today, can you just give me a rundown of what Jack Rudy is? Of course. So in October of this year, we'll actually be celebrating our 10-year anniversary. And uh, we are a producer of cocktail mixers, bar tools, and accessories. And we distribute those uh, across the country and internationally. That's the easiest way to uh, to describe what it is we do, although um, that is changing a little bit this year. Huh. How did you found it? So I, w- I came up in the restaurant business. I'm actually still uh, in the business. I own three restaurants here in Charleston. Um, but before I opened those restaurants, I was working for other people and was managing a restaurant here in Charleston called Fig, which has uh, been the had a lot of James Beard attention. Um, I know Fig well, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. So I was there as the general manager. And when I joined Fig, this is probably about 11 years ago, they were very well respected on the culinary front, but their bar program was a bit stayed. Um, and really that's because Charleston had just transitioned from airplane bottles to full bottles. So it was it had been previously illegal to sell full bottles of booze in South Carolina, you had to work with airplane bottles. So because of that, all of the restaurants in Charleston were behind the times. And I had moved to Charleston from Louisville, Kentucky, and I had worked at a property there that had quite a progressive cocktail program. And so part of my uh, sort of undertaking as a general manager was to reinvent our bar program. And, And to make a long story short, I noticed that there were a number of domestic gins and even international gins that we were beginning to stock and that Mm -hmm. our customers were really starting to be interested in, but there was no premium mixer. And so I set out to uh, essentially just to offer the customers an upgrade and upsell to their gin and tonic by making Mm -hmm. tonic syrup. And it was never my intention to turn it into a business until I noted the reaction of our customer. And that's when I I realized, you know, I could bottle this, turn it into a, a, you know, a proper company. And if people like it at this restaurant, I believe people might like it outside of this restaurant. And so that's really how it all started. So talk to me for those that aren't familiar uh, about a tonic syrup, talking about a tonic syrup as compared to tonic water. Of course. Um, What, what is, what does it bring to the drink and what are you using then instead of tonic water when you're making like a, a gin and tonic? Great. Well, so we make we both, we both make a tonic syrup and we also make a carbonated ready to drink tonic water. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, they, you can of course use them, use a tonic syrup for a traditional gin and tonic. So in that case, you would take gin, you would measure your tonic syrup, which is effectively a concentrate of the flavor of tonic water. And mm-hmm. then you would add soda water to dilute it and add the bubbles. Um, and that's and that makes a great gin and tonic. And the beautiful thing about it is you can really control the intensity of the tonic flavor that you're getting. 
when you're right. using the syrup. But what I really think is the most special thing is the application outside of a traditional gin and tonic. So, for example, something we make that's become immensely popular is the frozen gin and tonic. Um, we serve that at my restaurant, Leon's, and it's the best-selling cocktail we have. We've sold it for years. Um, so in that case, you wouldn't be able to use a tonic water and put that with gin into a frozen drink machine because the flavor wouldn't be concentrated enough. So we we use water, gin, tonic syrup, and then you know it freezes and turns into this beautiful uh, frozen gin and tonic. We've also collaborated with Sipsmith in England, um, which is a great London dry gin. And uh, we created a drink together called the Gin Toasty, which is a hot gin and tonic. Um, oh, wow. And so it's actually, it, it's gin, tonic syrup, and then you add hot water, serve it in a little teacup. It's it always, folks who've never had it are always like, I'm not sure that this sounds good. And uh, we we serve it at another one of my restaurants. Again, it's, it's a huge hit. People love it. Um, so, you know, those kinds of uses, the tonic syrup's really great for. But but if people prefer like, hey, I just want to pop and pour, um, we we have that as well. So people started like wanting to buy it. How did how did you decide then to to create the business and, and what did that look like for you? So did you say, I'm just gonna sell it locally in Charleston? Um I mean, obviously now you can find uh the products all over the place. So I'm I'm really curious to hear the story of like how you went from People want to buy this tonic syrup too. I'm going to create an entire brand around, and I also really want to know about the name. Yeah, so there there were two in in creating it. There were two really things that happened that were kind of watershed moments for the company. So I had the realization: okay, I'm hearing from a few customers a night that love this stuff. So I think that there might be uh, a taste for this, you know, in a wider uh, in a wider application. So I. I sought out to to start bottling it and did a lot of research about, you know, how to put it in a bottle and have it approved by the FDA so you can resell it. Um, and and I started bottling it in a facility here in Charleston, uh, just making it by hand. And the really the, the big thing that um, sort of set us off on the right path was that uh, Sean Brock, the chef Sean Brock, was opening mm-hmm. his restaurant Husk at that time. Um, and Husk went on to just be an yeah. absolute media smash for years. And it's still packed, although Sean has moved on. But when he opened, I knew him. He t- he wanted to taste the tonic because he had just read locally that I was doing it. And he said, I want to serve this in the restaurant. Uh, and it'll be the only tonic we serve. And so that was a big boost to, to me um, because so much media was coming through Husk. And right. that was on the cocktail list. And so just inevitably, I benefited from the attention that restaurant was getting. So that was a big thing. And then um, because Fig was also one of the best restaurants and we were serving the, the tonic at Fig, uh, I just randomly one day, a, a group of guys came in who worked for a um, company that's since been bought by a very large distributor. Um, but they were, they were wine and liquor wholesalers and they tried it. They loved it. The guy called me over. He was like, tell me more about this. I said, you know, I'm just making it here locally. And he said, you know, do you have any distribution? (laughs) And I said, no, I don't, you know, I'm making (laughs) deliveries in my car. Um, and he gave me his card. He said, follow up with me next week. I want to chat more. Long story short, we spoke on the phone. He didn't have a mixer brand in his portfolio and he wanted to start working with the tonic. Um, and so 
he placed a huge order. I very quickly got had to get very serious and find a facility to co-pack the product for me. And we've been working with them since that day. And really, we've kind of grown on the, you know, on the tails of their growth. Um, and we're still the only mixer brand in their portfolio. And of course, we've grown substantially. I mean, just this week, we released our Bloody Mary mix. So we've really diversified what we offer since those days. So yeah, so talk to me about what you do offer now. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, I've been aware of the brand for a while, but I, I definitely seen that you've grown. I mean, you have, I see now olive oil. Yeah. You've got like cocktail cherries, which I've got to tell you, actually, um, this is just a pain point. of. I'm going to air my own grievances now, bro. <laughs> even, in, even in Brooklyn, New York, cocktail cherries are hard to find. Like I, yeah, it's really, it's rare or, and really good ones are hard to find. You know what I mean? And yet so many classic cocktails, I, myself, like I think a lot of listeners, um, you know, really have taken up making a lot more cocktails during quarantine. I mean, I used to have like my go-tos, but now I'm making last words and more Manhattans and things like that, all that call yeah. for cocktail cherries. And, you know, I had to go into Manhattan to Italy to get, you know, some Luxardo cherries right? because I couldn't find them anywhere. Um, but so you're making a lot of stuff now. Um, what what of the what products are you doing? Is it all related to cocktails? I assume the olive oil is sort of, but it's also an olive oil that I could use. I would assume for my Correct. salad. So I'm I'm curious, like where where the product line is going. Yeah. So um, yeah, the mixer component of our portfolio has really grown um, big time. So we offer uh, we have a tonic syrup, extra bitter tonic, elderflower tonic. We have grenadine uh, bitters we offer. Um, and then we have, uh, you know, the Bloody Mary, we have margarita mix and then our kind of consumable garnishes. We have the bourbon soaked cocktail cherries and the vermouth brined olives. Um, one, we built that portfolio out. We also now produce bar tools, things like ice molds, bar spoons, jiggers, shakers, mixing glasses. And then we've just last year, we've added this, uh, what we call Jack Rudy Kitchen and sort of taking the same uh, attention and care with the products that we use in the bar and, and sort of looking at the kitchen. So the olive oil is part of that new product line. Um, next month we'll be releasing um, uh, our maple syrup and a bourbon barrel aged maple syrup. Um, oh, wow. We, have, we, well, we, we, lo- we love bourbon barrel aged maple syrup. So we have to talk about that. I will, I will absolutely send you a bottle <laughs> and I have some cherries in the mail to you as well. Oh, so good. That will help your, your last word garnishes very soon. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where we're headed. And then um, also at the end of the year, we're we're rebranding and shaking up our ready to drink, which currently mm-hmm. is just our ready to drink tonic. And we're adding a diet tonic and a ginger. And so that will all release at the end of the year. Um, so very exciting stuff. And and as many businesses uh, experienced in 2020, we just absolutely just boomed last year with people yeah. at home making more drinks, int- shopping online and becoming more comfortable with finding things online. And so um, it's been incredible. Um, and that's kind of where we're headed. So I'm curious about that. So obviously, um, you know, you own three restaurants. So on that side of the business, I cannot imagine that, you know, the pandemic has been easy as it hasn't for anyone. Um, but on the you know off premise side, we have seen a lot of people turn to making cocktails at home. What trends have you seen amongst the people who are buying Jack Rudy products? Like, are 
are you are you hearing from the customers in terms of what kind of cocktails they're making? I'm super curious about that. And where are they finding you? So trend wise, I'm just seeing a lot more experimentation. People, mm-hmm. you know, obviously a lot of people are back to work now, but in that two month period uh, that started in middle of March. Mm-hmm people took to Instagram and to the internet and they were learning about baking bread and they were learning about laying tile and they were learning about making cocktails and, and cooking. And so I think that was this incredible time when all this interest was really fomented and, and people started to take a lot more risks with their drinking mm-hmm. um, and, and just drinking, uh, you know, more because this has been a stressful year and, and yeah. in good times and bad uh, for better or worse, you know, alcohol consumption is, uh, is part of our coping, you know? And, um, so we just saw more interest in general in, in buying online in, um, videos that I was making and people, you know, I showed people how to make the frozen gin and tonic and it sort of, I felt like we broke the internet for a day, um, <laughs> at least in, in my little corner of the internet. And I think that that interest has, it has not waned. Um, people are still, uh, now I think they've developed a, a comfort with mixing cocktails at home and there's a, uh, a confidence. And so they're coming back to us again and again. It's been, it's been incredible. Um, and I think they're, they're finding us through a number of avenues. I mean, we've, since we've been around for almost a decade, we are still, you know, we're kind of like the, smallest large company ever um Mm -hmm. you know we have uh, a great website we do a big business on the website and i think we just have um you know if you're searching for tonic or small batch cocktail mixers you're going to find us um and then you know i think because of my exposure in the media through my restaurants i've been Uh fortunate that you know often a mention of one of the restaurants will also tie in Jack Rudy. So I'm very fortunate that any, any of those press features are, are they're very sort of complementary to the the entities that I'm behind. So, you know, we're, we've, we've been lucky in that way. Yeah. So, um, you know, you're, you're obviously expanding into Jack Rudy kitchen, you know, making more sort of ready to drink. I'm really curious. So we've, one of the biggest booms we've obviously seen this year, and I'm sure, you have as well is, you know, ready to drink cocktails. You have a brand that people know uh, that already makes mixers, right? That already that already helps you make cocktails. Have you at all thought about, you know, actual cocktails under the Jack Rudy brand? You know, uh, of course I have because I'm a restless <laughs> entrepreneur. Yeah. What I have found though is that there is so much uh, red tape and bureaucracy yeah. and forms to fill out uh, because we've certainly, you know, we have entertained that. And I just find that the, you know, in the non alk space, it's not it's not regulated. It's just like, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to, to deal with. And I think we just don't have, and until we get much, much larger and we can compete with the marketing budgets of, you know, the Diageos and Pernod Ricards of the world, I think we are happy staying in our lane and kind right. of owning, uh, owning the non-alc space. I mean, we have huge hopes for our ready-to-drink um, that will be kind of the, the line, which will sort of be reintroduced at the end of the year. And, 
I, I, I still think that until we've fully tapped out our potential uh, with with our core business, where we probably won't be looking to the the ready to drink cocktails. But uh, you know, you're right. It's been a, it's been very interesting. I've tried a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I still feel like there is you know there's room to do it better. Yeah, I agree. But I, I you know, it, it takes a lot of money and and, uh, and a lot of time and a lot of paperwork that I'm not patient enough to fill out at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does, it makes a lot of, you know, I mean, I, I totally understand what you're saying. There's, a, there's, especially once you add a, a controlled substance, uh, it becomes, it becomes a lot more difficult, but I, I think you're right. There's, there definitely is space. There's some people, obviously some who we've had on the podcast who are, are doing it well, but getting those flavors right for some reason seems yeah. to be very challenging once once spirits is involved for whatever well, reason. I think, you know, like for example, a Negroni is one that several people are doing, but those people are not, it's not as easy as going and I'm going to go buy beef eater, Campari and Carpano and put it in a tank and then put it in a can. Right. Um, you're basically, you know, a lot of these guys are like re-engineering the flavor of Campari as best they can, but you just, you can't, you know, you can't replicate, you know, Campari is absolutely essential to a great classic Negroni. And so if you get into this thing of, I'm going to try to get as close to Campari, I don't know. I just feel like the final, uh, the final outcome leaves something to be desired. Actually, I th- I, I agree with you. I think there's, yeah, there's, there's, it, it, they come close, but they're just not that, that cocktail that most people love. And then also, you know, at least the way that I've noticed covering the the spirits world for a long time, even though we say that the the Negroni is a classic third, 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 so many different bars make it with different proportions. And you may have one that you love that has a little bit more Campari in it mm-hmm. or has a little bit more gin or a little bit more vermouth heavy. And that's the, you know, the Negroni you've come to love. And then you, you have it in a, in a box or in a can or whatever. And it just isn't that Negroni. And so, you're, yeah, you're it, correct, it's hard. Spot on. It's, yeah, it, it's hard. Well, and I think that's the beauty of making mixers is people can toy with the proportions, um, you know. But if you're buying it in a can, you're effectively you get what you get. Yeah. Um, you know, with our margarita mix, we have a suggested recipe. But if you like, uh, you like it a little sweeter or more robust, you know, flavor of tequila, you can go one way or the other. So, um, yeah, the canned stuff, I'll be really interested to see where that goes. Same with the non-alcoholic, you know, in quotation spirits that, uh, that we're seeing. I'm very interested to see where those will be in five years. Oh yeah, totally. So talk to you a little bit about the, the mixers, the, the margarita and the bloody Mary. Are you based that are, are you are you basing those off recipes you had created previously behind the bar? Like what what goes into creating a mixer that you you feel confident a majority of people will like? Yeah, well, we that's you know that's a great question, and the those both that you mentioned, the Bloody Mary and the Margarita, huge labors of love. Um, I am mad about a margarita. I, I absolutely love a great well-balanced margarita. And my favorite recipe is the Tommy's margarita, which came from San Francisco. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's perfect. And what I found was, you know, I, I never would have been the guy who would have used a margarita mix because 
you know, I'm coming from the restaurant business where you squeeze your own limes, you, you're making the syrups yourself, you don't take a shortcut. And also all the mixes that I'd ever come across were cloyingly sweet. And, yeah. uh, and I hated them, I, you know, and so really what happened was I had a baby and I realized that I'm growing up, I'm becoming more mature. And my, t- you know, as your time shrinks, I realized, you know, I'm now a guy who, if there was a mix that was good enough, I'd use it. I'm no longer snobby about it, I guess. Um, and that began the conversation of, around the margarita. So yet the, you asked about what, if we based it on a recipe, the margarita is 100% based on the Tommy's margarita recipe. Okay. Um, so lime and agave, basically. Um, and it's incredibly well balanced. Um we suggest, or what I like is equal parts tequila and margarita mix. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I'm actually intrigued to do this once, you know, we, we can have friends over uh, more freely, but doing a taste test of a fresh Tommy's versus our mix, because I, I'm just mad about our mix. It's so, so good. And the same, the same story for the Bloody Mary mix. Um, it, uh, without taking too much time, I'll tell you, my dad has his own Bloody Mary kit. It's a converted gym bag that he travels awesome. with. And he's been doing this since we went off to college and he and my mother would come visit. He'd bring his Bloody Mary kit. They have a Bloody Mary without fail every single Sunday in a big Tervis tumbler. Um, That's amazing. <laughs> and they, you know, they're they're sort of great entertainers. That's where I got, you know, my love for the restaurants and for food. My folks love food. They love drink. And so we, you know, we, we were grew up around that, but I'm the only one in my family who didn't like my dad's bloody Mary much to his chagrin. And, you know, he loves to hear that. (laughs) Oh my God. He's, we've had a lot of, we've gone round and round about it. So I, but I do like Bloody Marys when I've had them at the, you know, in particular places. The places that come to mind would be Prune in New York, Bar Termini in London, uh, the Connaught Hotel in London. And the ones that I always liked were very fresh, very bright, lots of lemon, and again, well balanced because mm-hmm. I felt like so many Bloody Marys they got a bit saucy for me, uh, yeah. made a little thick, a little more like kind of a barbecue sauce kind of. And I favor things that are light, bright, fresh. So this Bloody Mary was inspired by the ones that we've had in those places. Really, I think the thing that sets it apart is the use of lemon, which gives it just an incredible brightness and it makes it very refreshing. It's great in a in a Bloody Mary, a Red Snapper. It's it's awesome with. I do half and half uh, with beer uh, for kind of a Michelada. Um, it's not a traditional Michelada, but it's damn good. So that's you know those are our two most recent releases. They're off mm-hmm. to an incredible start, and I'm very very excited about them. Very cool. Well, one last question for you because you are in Charleston, so um, obviously. Uh, the la- that was my actually last trip before all of this happened. Uh, we were uh, one of the sponsors of the of the food and wine festival yeah. down there last year. Right um, before it all kind of right before it all, yeah. Um, how is everyone doing there? How are your restaurants doing? 
yeah, what what is what does it feel like in Charleston in you know late February coming into early March, really the week before the festival would begin? Yeah, well, mm-hmm. Adam, it's it's crazy. Um, we have been very lucky. I mean, there's there's a lot of people on both sides of uh, of the argument about how open should you be or or you know all of the it's a very nuanced discussion but i'll just say this you know charleston and south carolina we shut down for for the two months and then reopened and when we reopened we could only reopen at uh low capacity at first but now i don't recall when it happened but i uh, for several months we've been at a hundred percent capacity has been allowed and while my restaurants are not at 100% capacity we have two very great things that have happened a there's a very there's a huge appetite to go out to eat so we're busy and b the city allowed the restaurants here to as they have in new york and other places to um occupy outdoor space that maybe previously they they weren't able to so right. for example at one of my restaurants little jacks our driveway we've turned into a huge patio and it must it's probably doubled our occupancy all told but it's outdoors and those seats are full so we have been incredibly lucky that everyone's back to work the restaurants are busy um, and in some cases they're actually we're doing more sales in some of the restaurants than we did pre-covid because of our uh, outdoor seating. Do you think that the outdoor seating will will remain something that's I mean that in New York we're hearing this is probably a thing for forever now. The sort of uh you think the same in in Charleston? I do. I sense that same energy around it because we've seen that it it hasn't um all the sort of stories maybe that we told ourselves or that, you know, that maybe the city told themselves, you know, lawlessness because every there's seats everywhere and uh, none of that's happened. And right. I think that it's here to stay and it's been a game changer for some of our properties. So we have been incredibly lucky and, you know, knock on wood, we're going to come out of this whole experience uh, much stronger even than than we were pre-COVID. Amazing. Well, Brooks, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. It's been awesome to learn more about Jack Rudy. Uh, wish you all the best uh, as, as we all come out of this thing. And uh, yeah, best wishes. Thanks so much. Love what you guys do. And it was uh, an honor to be on the, on the podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also... I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair's tasting director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.